I was uh, teaching uh, with my wife on Sunday uh, with our kids during family worship time on the, the nature of urgency and um, really just impacted uh, talking to the kids about uh, what makes us more urgent and what um, escalates our sense of urgency. And um, I just asked them the question. I said, uh, uh, what if he comes back uh, today? And um, it was really interesting to see their response. Uh, I think Avery was excited. I think Dawson was very fearful uh, of that, in all honesty. And um, I don't know, I was just thinking about then as we approached Lot family and as we walked through the day, just how I would approach the day differently if I knew for sure that that day was the day. And I don't know, I don't know if, if uh, the Lord's going to come back tonight. Um, I do know it would be awesome if he would. But um, I can't help but have a desire tonight to approach this evening uh, as if it was uh, our last time to study God's word together. And uh, I've, I've really had that sense in my heart uh, in terms of urgency uh, I just want to be obedient tonight as God would have me with this overwhelming sense that what if, what if tonight was it? What if he was coming back tonight and we had this one more chance as a body to worship him and to read his word? And so um, if you don't mind, I, just, I would like to pray for that. That's my heart going into this evening, I, and I don't want that to uh, come off in any other way than uh, I, just, I just long to obey God tonight and communicate his word in boldness and in humility. Um, so is that cool? Can we pray that together? All right. Uh, Father, I'm so grateful that you are um, the king, whether or not any of us in this room believe it. And I am so thankful tonight that you do not need me or anyone else to proclaim who you are and still be worshiped. And so, Father, in that freedom then, I pray that you would awaken us uh, to this tremendous awe and this incredible sense of urgency um, that maybe, just maybe, God, you would grace us by coming back tonight. Um, so I pray, Father, that we would hear the word as, as if this was our last chance to soak it in. I pray, God, that we would proclaim your excellencies as if it was our last chance to soak it in. I pray that you will do something here tonight that only you could do. And so I pray, God, right now for a heightened awareness amongst us all in your great and holy name. Amen. Let's start with a question. Um, next slide. Uh, here's what I want to know. What do you think about the most, the absolute most? Um, we've asked this question in various ways at various times, how interesting it would be to have some sort of contraption that tapped into our mind and we were just able to follow one another and on a screen, you know, like the old DOS mode on computers, we could see all of the thoughts that were going on in our mind. I'm wondering if you would confess that that maybe wouldn't be a good idea uh, from your, even just your thoughts today, okay? But what do you think about the most? I want to break this down into a few different areas just to help um, all of you process this question. Uh, next slide. I think there's really three, uh, three areas. I think first... Some of you guys potentially think about your identity the most, who you are and who you want to be. Uh, I think for others of you, it's your actions. 
both in the past, what you've done, and in the future, or the hopes of what you want to do. Uh, I know for some of you, relationships dominate your thoughts, who loves you and who you want to love. Again, just as a general survey here, if you were looking at this list, which one would you say dominates your thinking? Um, what, I've, what I've found is that we have um, rarely, if ever, had a healthy place, uh, even in the, the confines of the, the church, to teach what has happened in our mind. And the reason why I think we've negated it is because of the amount of real and present uh, clinical mental aspects that we deal with in our fallen world. And uh, I realize that. I realize that um, even when I just begin to talk about the mind and what you think about, some of you already are, are put on high alert because you have been wounded by things that people have said that have offended you because you know your own mental struggles. Um, tonight is not about any of that. In fact, um, for a moment, I'd like to put some of the clinical aspects of what happens in our mind to the side and instead just look um, solely focused on the power of the word. So let's begin with this wonderful passage. Next slide in Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. Do you guys see this? Think about these things. If you just took today and you look at this passage, I'm just wondering how many of your thoughts would align with this incredible text in Philippians. Today has your been mind filled with things that are true, with things that are worthy of praise. Today has your mind been set on the things above. Our mind is a very, very intricate thing to talk about. And that said, I want to dive headfirst into Ephesians chapter 4. So open your Bibles, turn into your phones, into our continued journey in Ephesians chapter 4, my friends. Let's take this issue of the mind and instead of negating it or turning our back to it, let's address it head on, straight from the scripture, not from Oprah. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this, after a powerful section on oneness, I say and testify in the Lord, says Paul, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds, he says. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 4, you'll remember, uh, we began to wrestle with the issue of walking. Verse 1 says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, is what Paul wrote in verse 1. I shared with you then, I remind you now, walking has never mattered more in our culture. We count steps we gauge our uh, walking pace in uh, entirely different ways than we did even five years ago. How we walk matters now. But the fact that Paul introduces in verse 17 this other way to walk, he says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do, meaning the, the pagans, those who don't know the Lord. It means that there are some options. In other words, just because you're walking 
it doesn't mean your pace is strong. Just because you're walking, it doesn't mean you're walking in step with the Spirit of God. Just because you're walking, it doesn't mean you're walking in obedience. Paul lays this out clearly. There's a couple different ways to walk. You can walk as a Gentile, or verse 1, you can walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Now, the really interesting piece that he mentions here is don't walk like the Gentiles in the futility he uses of their minds. Now, uh, the word futility is incredibly interesting. It basically is saying that the Gentiles have set their minds on worthless things. So their minds are filled with things that are going nowhere, that have no eternal purpose, and that are solely in the temporary. And so he says that the pagans those who don't know the Lord, those who aren't walking in a manner worthy, their minds are filled literally with worthless things. Now, I understand this is heavy to even begin to talk about this, but I, I challenge you to remember what filled your mind before you started walking with Christ. And for those of you that are here, and I'm so glad, you, uh, so glad that you are that don't know the Lord, I'm asking what fills your mind now? It's a disparaging difference. And so verse 18, he says, beginning to hone in on the futility of their minds, he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And just so we're all seeing the same words, next slide, I mean four very, very, very powerful words here. Next slide if you don't mind. Look at these four words. Darkened, alienated, ignorance, and hardness. What Paul is saying is don't walk in the way that the Gentiles do, and this is a phenomenal summary of how they walk. So let me ask you this. If you were a believer in Ephesus... And remember that in Ephesus, the culture was um, like chaos in terms of spirituality. It, it held the huge um, temple of Artemis, um, led by a thousand in worship of prostitutes and eunuchs, over-sensualized. I mean, this was a crazy, crazy culture. And so imagine coming to Christ in Ephesus and beginning to walk in the way of the Lord Jesus, completely counter everyone who's worshiping Artemis. And then uh, imagine being in a, a gathering, maybe a home gathering or a, a bigger gathering like this, and all of a sudden hear this letter that was written from Paul from a jail cell. And what he's saying is, listen, you, you have to understand new believer, which is who he's writing to, Christians. Why in the world... If you remember what it was like to walk in darkness, to walk in hardness of heart, to walk in the futility of your minds, the worthless thoughts that dominated you, to walk in that way, why in the world would you even consider to walk back to this? Why would you go back? You've been walking in Christ. You've been walking in the freedom. The shackles have been taken off. Why would you walk back to this? You began to walk in the light. Why would you ever even be tempted to go back to the darkness? Why would you be lured 
You've been walking with a soft, broken heart that the gospel is just literally just unleashed in your heart. Why would you want to go back to the hardness of heart? He's asking why. Challenging why. So it's a fair question then to ask me and you, right? If there's a couple different ways to walk, we walk as though the gospel has completely changed everything or we walk as one who proclaims the gospel out of our mouth, but ultimately we walk just like the world, why would we go back to the dark after we've tasted the light? I'm asking. Well, there's, literally, there's only one reason. It's because deep in us, we believe that these things still have something to provide. That's the only way that you would walk back. The scripture says, like a dog returns to its vomit, like... There is only one way that the enemy would disguise the vomit. That the darkness would be hidden for a little bit and it would promise something that it didn't deliver before. Paul is helping these young, growing believers, maturing believers, as he mentioned in the previous text. Listen, you have an opportunity to walk in a completely countercultural way and it's time for you to own that more now than ever so look at verse 19. This is a really, really interesting text. They have become, he says, speaking of the Gentiles, callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now at the risk of being somewhat gross, when you hear the word callous, next slide, surely you think uh, of this, right? Um, Okay, you got some right there? Yeah. And that, that's just you saying that you lift weights. We get it. We know, brother. Okay? It's okay. Right? There was a time in a season where I had calluses too um, when I was in the weight room. Now I have, look at that. I mean, no calluses at all. Right? I use lotion. Okay? Like, I kind of have baby hands now. Um, well, you guys know what a callus is. I mean, it's a, it's a hardening of the skin where essentially you, you have lost feeling in that particular area, though small. Now, at the risk of um, completely grossing you out, uh, calluses don't just show up on our hands. Next slide. They also show up right there on our feet. Um, now that you're throwing up in your mouth, could you just go to a black screen there if you don't mind? I don't want that to stay up there, okay? Take that down, please. There we go, okay. <laughs> I know some of you like absolutely hate feet, okay? So I saw a couple of you walk out, it's okay. Um, uh, so what he's saying is, listen, is that um, the Gentiles have be become so calloused. They've lost um, feeling. They have a, a numbness to the reality of the truth. They've become blinded they're in a fog. That's what he's saying. He's challenging the church in Ephesus. Are any of you, even just a little bit, becoming calloused again? The conviction that sin once held in your heart, where you could walk in a place of darkness or be tempted with a particular sin, and you would have this instantaneous sense in the depth of your spirit, that this was not just an error, but it like, 
It deterred you from the worship of God. Listen, there's been some times for all of those in this room that have followed Christ where it has been so utterly clear, a dark and light. You got around certain people and there was a strange sense in you. You got in certain situations, the strange sense in you. Uh, you guys know who have ever experienced then um, what, what seems to be a callousing, albeit temporary, how dangerous it is. So let's look again at verse 19. Next slide. The result of this, they have become callous and have, look at this, given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And for whatever reason, when I saw the word given up, there was only one image that came to my mind. Next slide. It was this. I never, ever, ever, um, never, ever use hunting analogies, but here we go, okay? Um, Imagine for a second that you are uh, this, this deer, okay? Is that right? Is this an elk, someone know? What is this? Is this a deer? Okay. Imagine, imagine that you're this deer, all right? And you're on the edge of the forest, and it's late fall, all right? And you're a very perceptive deer, and um, you have a, a keen sense of smell and uh, keen eyesight. Do deer have keen eyes? Are they... Okay, Lonnie, do, do, can deer see things well? Keen senses all around. This is be, even better for the analogy, okay, thank you. So they're very aware is what I'm saying. You see, Lonnie, listen, dude, I, I knew you'd be pumped up about this, man. I knew, I knew. So imagine you're on like the edge of the forest and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you see um, these very strange like bright orange shirts beginning to populate the forest, right? And, and at first, you think, oh, this is cool. This is like a carnival, right? The carnival's come to town. This is awesome. And, um, and so you see all these orange shirts, and then you, then you watch all of them climb up in the tree. And then, then you begin to look a little bit harder, and you realize that um, they're carrying something with them. And uh, some, of, uh, some of what they're carrying is a bit larger, you know, and, and others, you know, maybe have a bow. I know those seasons don't mix. Just work with me. I'm not a hunter, all right? <laughs> now, so you're on the, the edge of this wide open meadow, and you see all of these orange shirts all over the trees. Giving yourself up to sensuality is like walking to the middle of that meadow. And literally the only thought that I had in my mind is, is you like, you see the, the death that's going to come. You see the hurt that it's going to bring. You're even like almost in some senses fully aware. And then you, you just literally give yourself up to it. Here. And you just, with all of the confidence in the world, like so many of us have done in moments of sin, walking in, sitting in a darkened room, hanging in a relationship, gossiping in a conversation, judging in our heart, with full confidence and boldness, all of a sudden, prance in. He's saying, listen, the Gentiles, they literally just give themselves up to sensuality. 
They just lay it down senselessly. I mean, they literally give up their lives knowing full well that it will provide them nothing and yet they give themselves up to it again. He says beautifully in this text, what happens when they become callous is they give themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Well, think about it. If you're greedy to practice every kind of impurity, it means you want more. You're not content with a little bit of impurity. You want more. Now, if you're in a setting like this and you're hearing this letter read, I would imagine at this point there was an emphatic change in the reader. And the emphaticness was stirred by what the reader had to see with his eyes or her eyes next in verse 20. Look at this. But that is not the way you learn Christ, Paul says. Again, he's talking to believers. That is not the way you learn Christ. Anyone here with kids? There's a, thank you. There's a really awkward moment that happens. You have company over. Everyone's having a grand time. Your kids are growing up. Their vocabulary is increasing, right? And all of a sudden, um, you're sitting around and you've just been talking about the Lord and, you know, sharing scripture, et cetera, et cetera. I walk in today, true story, I walk in today as a joke, and all my kids and my wife are sitting on a circle in our kitchen singing Kumbaya. They thought it was funny. I don't know. Literally, that's what happened. Okay, anyway. So you're doing that with your company, and then all of a sudden, uh, one of your kids, this has never happened to us, I promise, one of your kids um, shares a, a bit of language that is, uh, it's, you know, it's a little bit dicey, right? It, it has a little tone of, right? Well, in that moment, parents, what do you say? Where did you hear that? Because it definitely wasn't from us. And you're like looking at your spouse, you know, and in your mind you're thinking, seriously, I know, I, I remember when you said that. But in front of, but in front of your company, right, you're like, when, when did you, like, where did you learn that, son? Like, what playground were you on? What, what Nickelodeon movie were you watching? Right, right. Where did you learn that? I'm pretty sure Moana doesn't have cuss words in it. Like, what happened to you? Right, what happened to you? You start like replaying the Moana songs. Like, surely not. Was there some hidden message? No. This is that sort of sense. Like, you did not learn that. When you learned, and notice what he says, Christ. Do you see that? Now, I've studied the Greek as much as I can here. There is no about Christ, there is no in Christ, there is no of Christ. It is literally when you learned the person. In other words, this whole movement that in Acts is called the way is the Holy Spirit being put in new believers and the sanctification or the growth that happens in those believers is they learn Christ. They're not brought in. You are not brought into some sort of religious rule system where you check off boxes if you've done well or you erase boxes if you've done poorly. Your whole life is learning Christ. That's why we say here all the time when you read the scripture, every single passage whispers the name 
of Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you're reading Genesis chapter 1-1 in the beginning, God, or whether you're reading Ephesians 4, every single passage comes back to Christ because we are learning Christ. He always was the plan of redemption. He always was the redeemer. He was always the hope. One day, yes, man would be separated from God, but one day because of the Son of Man who sacrificed all of a sudden would atone our sin for his glory, he became something that we could learn. You want to walk like the Gentiles in the futility of your minds? I just want to remind you, he's saying to the church in Ephesus, I just want to remind you, he's looking at us 2,000 years later saying that is not the way you learned Christ. There was a different way. Now he makes, I believe, a phenomenal assumption in verse 21 and 22. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as in the truth is in Jesus, to look at this, put off your what? What's the word there? Come on. Put off your old self, which belongs to your what? to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now I want to make sure you understand before we uh, dialogue on this text for a while. What he's not saying is, okay, um, believers, uh, you have to again and again and again put off your old self. He's not saying this. He's talking about the salvation experience of these folks in Ephesus saying they heard about Christ they were taught in Christ they then put off their old self this is a reminder yet again of who they are now similarly there's this profound image profound image that all of a sudden struck me on this text next slide now um you guys who know me well know this about me. Uh, I really, really, really hate being dirty. Um, if I'm going to be dirty, I'm okay. But I really struggle in situations where I get dirty and then I'm going to be in a setting where I'm supposed to be clean. Does that make sense to you guys? Right, so if right now all of a sudden like one of you spilled some soda on my jeans, I, I would almost be done. I mean, I would be like, I don't know if I can keep going. This is... I'm joking, of course, uh, but not really. Now, um, now, imagine this, okay? Your entire life, every single day in the morning, you come to this mud pit. Literally your entire life. When you're an infant, your parents bring you, okay? Every single day. And what they do as you grow is, is they can't bathe you, they can't shower you, but certainly as you grow, they have to, you know, every once in a while, change the clothes only to repeat the process every single day going to the mud pit. Now that you're in clothes that are pretty sustainable, imagine never showering, every single day going to the pit, diving in in your daily routine, you can't clean off. Every place you go publicly, you look like like you've just, you know, done the tough mutter every single day, okay? And that is your entire life. Caked, covered uh, in the heat like today, where it's the surface of the sun, like your, all of your skin. 
becomes flaky because the mud dries, only to be waiting for it to be wetted again tomorrow with mud. Uh, since you and I are having some fun tonight, when did you come to Christ? When did you start walking for the Lord, bro? At what age? Twenty six now minus four, call it twenty. Twenty. I'm my math's off. Twenty two. We'll go with twenty two. It's okay. It's you're a believer. That's all that counts. Let's just go with that. All right. Okay. But imagine this. Imagine this. Twenty two years, every single day, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden. There is a way out. All of a sudden, you don't have to spend one more day caked. All of a sudden, there is a way to be new. All of a sudden, the oldness and the the death and the grunge and the pain that was associated with every day going back to the pit. Imagine if all of a sudden someone came to you. Hey, listen, uh, I've, I've got a way out for you. Uh, there's going to be a way now where you never have to go back to the pit, ever. You're going to be fully washed clean. There's going to be a a new set of clothes that are put on you, which is the precise Greek imagery here. It's the putting off of old clothes. There's something that's going to happen where now your entire body is going to experience newness, literally putting off of 22 years worth of sin and hatred and distance and the scripture calls it hostility towards God literally in one fail swoop all of it done and now cleaned in the blood of Christ you fill in your age you fill in your story you see my friends this text wouldn't be read in some sort of stoic form this would have been read with the brunness of the gospel There was a day you were old, but my friends, there was a day through the blood of Christ where you were made new. So he's reminding them, you didn't learn Christ like the way of the Gentiles. You learned Christ in the way that said when you come to him, he makes you new. You literally put off the old self. You stop walking in the way of the Gentiles because you come to believe a new belief that none of that provides anything. Now, what happens as he makes that bold statement is he comes full circle now on the mind. He says, and to be, what's the word? Renewed in the spirit of your minds. I've said it a million times here. I'm going to say it again right now. My thoughts betray me. Anyone else? Anyone else resonate with that? My thoughts betray me. And so my personal struggle with my thoughts that betray me are okay. 
I know scripture says that I have a renewed mind, but it sure doesn't feel like it. So right now, I want to leave my thoughts, and I want to leave my feelings and your thoughts and your feelings behind, and instead, I just want to walk through the scripture. So let's now hear the echoed verse of this text, next slide, in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? transformed by the renewal of your mind. You walk like the Gentiles in the futileness of their minds. You will walk this way. But scripture is clear. There's a different way to walk. Next slide. I think all of a sudden then we begin to wrestle with this truth. Our mind is a massive battleground. Would you please agree with me tonight? Please. I mean, it is a massive battleground. Just today, just today in your life and I know in mine, the truth being twisted, lies being believed, my mind feeling at times like it's in utter chaos. You guys know what is right here is a massive battleground. The old man versus the new, light versus darkness. And I just want to make sure you understand from a scriptural standpoint that that is no confusion to the gospel. Let me show it to you this way. Next slide. Look at what happens when Jesus rebukes Peter because Peter told Jesus, well, surely you're not going to die. Look what happens. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, which is not a way of encouraging him. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting what? Your mind on the things of God. All of a sudden, I started studying all of the passages throughout the entire scripture that mentioned the mind or thoughts, and this text just grabbed me. Because Jesus calls it right out. Your mind right now, Peter, is not set on the things of God. It is set on you. And so you're worried that I'm going to die. You're worried that you're going to have to say goodbye. You're worried in your mind about how it is going to impact you, Peter, but let me tell you how my death is going to impact you, Peter. My death is going to provide a way out. My death is going to offer salvation to the world. My sacrifice is going to offer forgiveness of sins. My sacrifice is going to offer an opportunity to be united with God eternally. Get behind me, Satan, because your mind isn't on the things of God. Instead, he says, it's on the things of man. Now, this wasn't the only text that was helpful in the journey. I just, though there were many, next slide, I'd like to share one more from Romans 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Now, do you remember when Jesus said the two greatest commandments? Love God with all your heart, with all your... Right? Love God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, when asked what the greatest commandment was, 
Jesus includes love God with all of your mind. Well, the scripture says that we have a renewed one. Listen, in, in, in Corinthians, you know what Paul says to the church in Corinth? You have, he says, listen to this, brace yourself. You have the mind of Christ, he says. So what is going on? What is happening in this battleground? Why every single day is it so insanely easy for us to get our mind fully set on the flesh? And where does that lead? The scripture just says it leads where? To death. You set your mind on you, it is going one place and one place alone. But when all of a sudden you begin to think on the things above, you follow the command from Philippians 4 to whatever is true, whatever is noble, and whatever is worthy of praise. Listen, let me say it this way. Imagine a mind fully consumed by the things of God. Imagine that. No lies. No thoughts of lustful gain. No judgment that creeps in as you gaze those around you. But just this constant, perpetual mind who is so and is so fully consumed with the Lord, it, it, it becomes impenetrable. Why? With the helmet of salvation. This helmet that protects because of those who find themselves in the love of Christ, that Christ would do a renewing work in their mind. So then it only leaves, at the end of the day, one question for us to ask as it pertains to our mind. What is the current state of your mind? Now, um, What I want um, to happen right now is for all of a sudden this crazy sense of hope through the Spirit of God comes in this room now. And we don't just hear the exhortation of Paul to stop walking like we used to but instead we, we hear the love of God. We hear the grace of God. I believe beckoning us to surrender our mind to him. Here's what I've realized, church. I have rarely, if ever, started my day saying, here, God, here's my mind. Protect my mind, God. Make my mind go to the things of you. Your scripture says that I already have a renewed mind. Your scripture says that I have the mind of Christ. But God, here I am, a broken, broken man, witnessing the battleground that is going between these ears. God, here. Help me, Lord. And I know tonight that the state of many of your minds in this room
It feels so far from being renewed, so far from being set on the things of God, so far away from worry that you literally feel like your mind is in a constant vice of lies and attacks from the enemy. But what if right now, as a church, we literally just held out our mind to God and said, here, Church, can I tell you something right now? He is capable of shifting your focus. He is capable tonight of healing some of the past sin that continues to evade your thoughts and invade your thoughts. He is is completely capable tonight, my friends. To allow a continual renewal of our minds to happen even again here tonight. So next slide. What if tonight we just laid our minds before him and together prayed this prayer? And so I just want to give you a few seconds now to in your own way, whatever that means, whatever prayer you feel like tonight has to be said, Let's cherish what we already have in Christ, and that is a mind that can be set fully on him. Take a few seconds and just cry out. stand together. For those of you that had your Bibles open or you were reading in your phones, you know that there's one more verse. One more verse. He doesn't just say, put off. He doesn't just say, when you come out of the pit, my friends, then you take off the old clothes. Next slide. Look at how this ends, my friends. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Here's what I've realized, church. We spend a whole lot of time giving thanks to God for forgiveness of sins. We spend in the church a whole lot of time giving thanks for the promise of eternal life. But my friends, how much time have we spent giving God thanks for newness of life? Here and now, that he can literally take the old away and scripture says in Corinthians that we are a new creation. How much time have we just spent crying out to God, thank you for newness of life. Thank you that we don't have to be dominated by the old man anymore. Thank you that our sins have been crucified on the cross of Christ and they don't define us anymore. God, thank you. Well, you know what I think? 
We've just become well-mannered believers. We say our pleases and our thank yous in times that are dominated when we want something from him. Right now, I want to be purged from some sort of well-mannered gratitude that learned how to say thank you at the right time. And I am praying that what happens in this church right now is an awakening of what he has done in pulling you out of the pit. A gratitude that comes through the Spirit of God that makes your heart beat fast again for what he has done. And for some of you that are here, listen to this, this is crazy. Who have never ever experienced new life. Who have lived in the futility of your minds. Dominated by worthless things. Guess what, my friends? It's an amazing grace. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. It's scandalous. But right now, the one king that can offer you new life is offering it. He's saying, call on my name. Rest in my salvation. And some of you are like, but Mark, like, what does that mean? Just call out to him. Become aware as you are right now of your sinfulness and your separation. You're being alienated from him. And my friends, call out to him. God, please. I feel dead and calloused and dark and hardened. God, right now, would you give me new life? Will you shape my heart and my mind around you? Would you set my hope fully on you? Would you take my lusts and desires of my flesh? And God, would you leave those things behind? And my friends, the promise of Scripture is if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you are a new creation. The old is literally gone and the new has come right now. So for the new believer in this room, the newness of life, or for the person that came to Christ six years ago or 10 years ago or 20 or 30, can we become so fully consumed with the person of God that there would be this rising up of gratitude because he has killed the old and he has made us in his blood new. Let's give thanks right now like never before.